This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Monday, January 13th, 2013. I'm Caleb Brown. Kids who are unnecessarily disruptive in school ought to be punished. The new Department of Justice guidance on school discipline suggests that many otherwise minor matters of student discipline will become the cause for federal investigations under the guise of what's known as disparate impact. Walter Olson, a senior fellow at the Cato Institute, explains. The zero-tolerance policies have been around now for years and quite rightly have provoked quite an outcry from all across the political spectrum for their uh, irrationality, their zaniness, uh, and (coughs) we'll get to the incentives for why schools would adopt a policy as silly as that, um, I think, a little bit later when we talk about this. But let's start by saying that uh, libertarians certainly have been leading the charge on some of the problems with school discipline. Uh, Zero tolerance is one. Uh, The uh, (coughs) police intervention uh, in areas where uh, it would have been resolved by school officials or uh, school district people. Truancy, for example, that why uh, in uh, some parts of the country do they run around treating truancy as uh, a matter for arresting people? Uh, Why do... um, Uh, many things that would have been resolved with suspensions or some other discipline uh, suddenly turn into police referrals. So there's a lot that uh, needs reconsideration. uh, And when uh, Attorney General Eric Holder and Education Secretary Arna Duncan got up to announce the new federal policies, they did strike some chords that we could see, yes, you know, this has gone way too far and it's time to uh, reconsider them. If only we could stay on those points of agreement. But unfortunately, the policies that they unveiled uh, open up a whole bunch of new problems where uh, it's important we understand what they're trying to do because they will take us down some uh, dangerous paths of their own. Disparate impact analysis is pretty broadly used in a lot of areas of uh, federal regulation. But what does it mean here? Well, disparate impact is familiar from employment discrimination, and that's the place where the courts have uh, given it the thumbs up most uh, clearly. When you turn to other types of uh, discrimination, housing, education, uh, voting, and various others, uh, you find a much more ambiguous attitude. And in fact, one of the issues here is that it's not at all clear that the courts will take the same view on disparate impact when it, when it gets there. But let's back up. Uh, what is disparate impact? The idea is even if there is no discriminatory intent, even if uh, a school is in fact treating uh, majority or minority kids on exactly the same basis when one of them breaks a rule, uh, disparate impact says that the rule itself needs to be examined uh, if it is leading to disproportionate amounts of discipline for one racial or ethnic group, uh, for uh, special ed kids as opposed to non-special ed kids, and goes through a process. And again, those who have seen uh, its equivalent in areas like uh, employment discrimination will recognize this. The school has to defend 
the need for the rule. Uh, it has to serve an important educational purpose. If it's only s serving a trivial education purpose, uh, it might lose without even going any further. And who knows how that will uh, play out on things like dress codes, for example. Uh, it may be, and, and this is one of the examples the federal, the federal guidance cites, um, you know, some uh, ethnic groups may um, uh, break dress codes more often because of their own habits of how to dress. Uh, that will uh, be a disparate impact case right there if you try to enforce it through, through discipline. So they will examine, is it an important educational objective? And then even if it is, even if they admit that it's an important educational objective, they will go on and say, is there some other way that you could have uh, arranged your rules to try to get this objective met without disciplining so many students from the wrong group? And that's going to be hard. It's much easier if you were a school bureaucrat to say, look, let's, let's not go through this ordeal. Let's either get the numbers right and uh, make sure that suspensions don't get too far out of line for any protected group or else just uh, you know, f figure out some other way of pleasing uh, the inspectors from Washington because one way or another they will make the process uh, difficult and expensive uh, if, once they start an investigation. Boys are more likely to act up than girls. Well, they are, and it's funny that you mentioned that because that's one of the greatest and most durable differences of all. And yet, I, I read through the guidance, I read through the Dear Colleague letter, and I can't see that they spent any time at all on the fact that boys get disciplined much more than girls. You would think that it would have them just as upset. You would think that they would be demanding that um, girls be um, <coughs> given a uh, a, a tougher look to find more ways to discipline them or something. But they skip right over that. The two areas that they spend time on, overwhelmingly, it's on racial disparities. They also mention, which is very interesting, disparities on special ed. And that is significant because in the categorization of who gets into special ed, you know, anyone who's been around a school realizes it's not blind and deaf kids and kids in wheelchairs. It's overwhelmingly kids who have emotional, behavioral, psychological uh, differences. And very often they have gotten categorized as special ed because of things that correlate with acting out or being disciplined problems. So it's not that surprising that the special ed kids get arrested and, and suspended at roughly twice the rate it differs uh, depending on the details. And they're saying that this needs to be rectified. Well, it's so strange. The whole point of getting the classification often was that the kid was acting out and they're trying to get special recognition that the kid needs different treatment. But the idea that they then can't be suspended at any greater rate even though they're misbehaving, it's, it's just strange. Behind this all is the question, in general, do different groups, protected or otherwise, misbehave at different rates? On the boy-girl thing, hardly anyone thinks that girls are doing just as much misbehavior but somehow getting away with it. Uh, the fact is that boys misbehave more, and I say that as a boy. Um, the, uh, so the question that you would think they would have to put front and center is, uh, you know, what about actual differences in misbehavior rights? And to, the, the mention of that is very brief and very brushing and just says basically we're not buying the idea that there are differential misbehavior rights. And of course, if they refuse to accept any evidence on that, then they're going to have a lot of investigations to do. What should we expect this guidance to lead to 
down the road in terms of investigations, in terms of impact on schools and local administrators' ability to do what they're supposed to do? It's a clear shot across the bow saying expect to be investigated if your numbers are uh, too far off from uh, uh, even discipline. Uh, those investigations may sometimes be generated by Washington itself, which may be going after bigger systems uh, or going after whole states or, or cities as an example. They are also very often generated by complaints from particular parents uh, whose own kid was disciplined or a group of parents uh, saying, come over here. Um, our kids have gotten uh, – and one of the examples the federal government uh, guidance uses is two kids get in a fight. One of them gets a three-day suspension. One of them gets a two-day suspension. Uh, they said, when we investigate, we will expect the uh, school to be able to provide written rationales for why one kid got a three-day and the other kid got a two-day suspension. Otherwise, we will find them to have discriminated. Now, if they're looking things as, at things as small as that, as the difference between a two-day and a three-day suspension, then essentially everyone's going to be under the microscope. The, the idea of the de minimis rule of only big, serious um, types of um, uh, departures from the, uh, uh, you know, in, in the intended goal. It's, um, they really believe that they can come in and look at even very minute things and um, uh, roll out major remedies for them. What is, what is driving this? Why, why is this a federal issue? Well, why is this a federal issue? They will say, uh, we have a responsibility to enforce the discrimination laws, and they tie it all back to uh, the fact that uh, as a condition of receiving federal funds, uh, all these schools promise not to discriminate. At some ultimate level, so the federal government under the Constitution is not given any responsibility for education at all. That would seem to guide us toward a presumption that uh, as a state and local activity, uh, traditionally throughout American history, the primary responsibility, with perhaps an occasional exception, as when uh, you know this, the South had to be um, remediated, uh, uh, you know the, the occasional egregious misbehavior uh, might somehow call uh, down Washington. But the idea that Washington is to be a presence more or less all the time for everyone, uh, looking over everyone's shoulder, it. it it turns on its head the presumption that education is local. Uh, we wake up and we find that these laws have become an excuse for the federal government to do a complete takeover of this area. So that's at odds with the Constitution as far as I can see. Beyond that, they are imposing their own very dubious reading of what anti-discrimination means because uh, one of the questions – Almost anyone would think, reading through the Dear Colleague letter, is, all right, what about reverse discrimination? Uh, you've got these schools feeling under the gun if they don't turn in the right numbers. You've got plenty of anecdotal information indicating that uh, they are sometimes tougher on the majority group or on the group that is under-disciplined uh, and hand down longer suspensions just because they're afraid of making their numbers worse. Um, what's the status of reverse discrimination? And there's this complete silence as if they didn't view that as as a danger uh, worth warning about. But the laws themselves are neutral. The laws themselves say you can't discriminate in either direction. And I would think the federal government, in good faith, should take the same view. 
Walter Olson is a senior fellow at the Cato Institute. He blogs at overlawyered.com and cato.org.